chapter 12. We finished last week, chapter 11, uh, with these verses. Let's read from uh, verse 30. If you didn't bring a Bible tonight, um, get close enough to someone who does have one and share. And uh, let's take a look here at what God is saying. For as you were once disobedient to God. Anybody a candidate for that one in here? Hmm? Yes? No? Yes? Who said no? For as you were once disobedient to God. How about for you were many times disobedient to God? In fact, for you were all your life disobedient to God. <laughs> kind of fits me a little better. Yet have now obtained mercy through their, dis their disobedience, meaning the Jews. Because the Jews uh, failed to recognize Christ as their Savior, those of us who have lived our lives in disobedience to God have been given the opportunity of knowing Christ as Savior and God as our Father. We studied about that last week. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. Remember, that was the thrust of that whole chapter 11, is that God uh, gave his people an opportunity of, no, of receiving Christ Jesus as their Messiah. They failed to do so. So God turned to the Gentile peoples and offered to us the gospel, the way of salvation. But the, his, his goal in doing so was to provoke his people to jealousy so that once again they would have an opportunity and would respond this time. And we talked about last week, read here how Israel will be saved. Okay, verse 32. For God has committed them all to dis disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Whenever you find a therefore in the scripture, it's always taking you back to something that's been previously stated. And so, Paul comes on. He doesn't come on like, I order you, brethren. He says, I, I beseech you, brethren. Therefore, based on what he's already talked about, of the incredible love and goodness of God for to him and through him and all of that, he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the word present here has to do with a kind of a... Uh, it has to, it's, it's a temple terminology. It has to do with the kind of presenting that goes on when someone comes to the temple with an offering to present. Paul says, because God has shown this incredible mercy to us, 
And we didn't, de we didn't deserve diddly squat from God. He showed mercy to us and provided for us to be able to come, become cleansed from our sins and to become His children because that's so, because God has shown to us His great love. Let's come presenting a gift. Let's come worshiping Him. And he says that the nature of the gift that we need to be presenting to God just out of response to His great love is the presenting of our bodies. Actually, of our lives. It'd be better translated yourself. Body, soul, and spirit. The whole man. Come bringing your life. Come presenting your life as an offering to the one who has shown you mercy and has shown you love. Now, you know, it'd be one thing if God was some sort of cosmic tyrant, you know, kind of a patent figure with six guns on his hips and just blowing people away that he didn't like, you know, and doing all sorts of neat things like that. It'd be different if God, this, this cosmic uh, creep, you know, was, was saying, get down and worship me, sucker, or you're going to die. But that's not the picture we have here at all. We wouldn't respond to that. Oh, well, we might. <laughs> but we wouldn't be responding from our heart. We would be obedient and we would be responding because we were faced with having to. However, that's not the picture we have here. We have a picture of a God who has shown us the depths of his riches and, and wisdom and knowledge his unsearchable ways, his judgments that are past finding out, his mercy and his love. He's shown to us his kindness, his caring. He has sacrificed his own life for us. And there's a request, I beseech you, brethren, because of that, come bringing the sacrifice, come bringing the offering of your life. It says, that's only your reasonable service. That's only what's logical to do. You know, there, there isn't anything more logical than placing your life into the hands of the loving Creator. There's nothing more logical than that. I mean, who knows better how to order your life, how to direct your steps, how to lead you, than the one who made you and cares for you. And so he says, come, present the offering of your life because it's only the smart thing to do. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We come presenting the Lord our lives as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable, it says. You know, when uh, a Jew would come to bring his offering to the Lord, it had to be uh, a sacrificial lamb that was blameless, spotless. It had to be one that was in perfect condition. And this scripture says that you and I have been made holy or are dedicated and our sacrifice the sacrifice of our life is acceptable to God that's a wonder in and of itself but as we present ourselves to the Lord it says do so 
in a manner that is is turning off the world and its pressure to conform you to its image and allow Jesus Christ to transform you by the renewing of your mind. So we come, we, we bring our lives to Jesus and, and we say, Lord, the the only intelligent for me, only intelligent thing for me to do when I view the the depths of your mercy that and your love that you've shown to me, the only intelligent response is to give you my life. And here it is. Here's my life. It's but it's polluted and corrupt and and selfish and all kinds of junky things. And so Paul says. Don't be conformed to the world. If you're going to present your body to the Lord, shut off the attachment to the world. Now, the word conforming has to do with outward things. If you take a hunk of clay and you start to fashion it into a pitcher or a vase or something like that, you are conforming it to an image that you have, have predetermined. But the word transformed is a completely different terminology. That word has to do with something that's going on on the inside. So Paul says, come presenting Jesus Christ the gift of your life. It's the only intelligent thing to do. And stop being conformed to the ways of the world. And you better believe that there is a lot of pressure out there trying to conform you to an image that the world has in mind. I mean, you know, the, the television media, for instance, is trying to conform you into its image if you don't wear these clothes, if you don't use this mouthwash, if you don't use this toilet paper, you are in bad shape, you know? Trying to conform you to its image. Paul says, pull the plug on that one and let Jesus transform you. Not conform you, not dealing with externals, but transform you. That's something that happens on the inside by the renewing of your mind. You say, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, I want to give God a life that is, is dedicated unto Him and, and clean and useful to Him, but mine is so polluted, so corrupt, so messed up. I have so much of the world's impression on my life. How could it be, how could God even accept me? I mean, how could he even, uh, you know, do anything with me? I don't want to be a liability to him. And my father-in-law one time gave me a television, a color television. I thought, well, wow, I opened, it was a Christmas present. I opened the thing up, and I was, I'd just gotten married, and we had this little black and white television that... Um, I had set a plant on top, you know, and I was watering the plant one night when the television was on, and it went <laughs> fireworks, you know, and it was all over. That was the end of our little black and white television. Well, for Christmas, I opened the package, and here was this really nice 19-inch color television set. And my eyes lit up, and I said, gee, thanks, Dad, you know. And he says, yeah, and you only have to pay for half of it. <laughs> well, suddenly, something that was intended to be a, an asset to me became a liability. Now, if you see him, don't tell him I told that story. <laughs> he ended up in the long run, he did, he changed his tune, he paid for the whole thing. But he, he gave to me 
a liability. I don't want to do that to God. I don't want to come and give him something that he doesn't need, something that's going to be in his way. I don't want to give him a wreck. But I feel that way about my life sometimes. God, I want to, I want to respond to your love by giving you my life, but it's such a mess. Such a wreck. It's so conformed to the, to the image of the world. How, and I, know, I just know I can't change. I, I've tried enough times to know that I cannot change my life. And Paul, though, here, really is giving us an important key to this whole matter by changing his words. He says, don't, don't, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, don't be conformed to this world, but be conformed to the image of Christ. Because that's dealing with externals. And we've tried to conform ourselves into the image of Christ, and it doesn't work. We find ourselves powerless to fashion of our lives something that looks like Christ. But that's not what he's saying. And that's not what he's asking of us. He's saying, all right, put a stop to the conforming influence of the world. And let Jesus transform you on the inside by the renewing, the reshaping of your mind. Because he knows that if that'll happen, if you'll let Jesus transform you on the inside, transform the way you think, that the outside will begin to conform to the image of Christ. We always try to get that backwards, see? We always try to beat our bodies into shape you know you stop doing that and you start doing this and we, we seem powerless to make it all happen but I've seen time and time again and I know in my own life that every time I'll stop working on the outside and let the Holy Spirit start hammering away on my insides that pretty soon the outside just starts to look right it's kind of like when you've been uh, feasting on a diet of garbage and start to eat right you start to look different and I, I've been living and I had lived enough time in the world and feasting on that garbage that I started to look like that garbage. And it'd be futile for Jesus to say, okay, change the way you look. Change the way you act. Change your outsides. That's impossible until we change the source. Until we change the, the diet. And so he says, stop being conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he says some interesting things. He says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And, you know, if there's any one question that Christians ask time and time again, it is, what is God's will? What is God's will? There's not a... I mean, I, I've heard enough people give simplistic answers to that question to know that that's not going to satisfy you and, that's, and Paul's not giving you a simplistic answer to that question but what he is giving us is a simple answer to that question and I'll tell you all the questions that we need answers for the scripture gives them in very simple form but not simplistic you understand what I mean? simplistic is not is um Simplistic is not enough. Simple is everything in a, in a package that we can deal with. And so in a very simple way, he says, if you want to know, if you want to prove out, if you want to live out, if you want to put on display what is the perfect will of God, 
do these two things. Place your life in God's hands. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, at first, that doesn't, you know, somebody comes to me and they say, uh, Pastor, uh, would you pray for me? I need to know God's will about what job I should take. I just don't, I can't understand what God wants me to do. Would you please pray for me to turn to that person and say, well, brother or sister, place your life into the hands of the Lord. Present to Him your life as a living sacrifice. Stop being conformed to the world's way and allow the Spirit of God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. I would probably get a very perplexed look and say, yeah, but you don't understand. I need to know about this job. Well, I do understand. I think Paul understands. I think the Spirit of God that is directing Paul to give us these words understands. But sometimes we get, we get so tied into these um, these really very relatively immaterial problems that we really miss the whole principle involved. If I believe that God is God, I believe that He loves me, I believe that He has power to direct my life and indeed wants to direct my life, if I give my life to that same God and I begin to allow myself to have a mind that is shaped in the direction that He wants it to be, and it's starting to cause me to live my life in a manner that's pleasing to Him, will He not direct my steps? Will I not find myself in the will of God? Most of the time, brothers and sisters, the will of God is declared to us not by a voice from heaven. Most of the time, the will of God is declared to us and we don't even know it. Just because the Spirit of God directs our steps, he, he puts into our minds and our hearts impressions about what seems to be the right thing. Well, it seems to me that I ought to... Sometimes that just little scratch of your head that says it seems to me is the Holy Spirit. In fact, most of the time, we don't know it. You know, a lot of times we, we, we get so tied up, so chewed up on the insides, trying to squeeze out of God's hands information concerning the interior de decorating of our lives and get so frustrated because He's not giving us the, the directions about which wall to hang this picture on and, and which plant should go in this corner that we miss the fact that God is primarily concerned with the structure of our life. He's more like an architect than an interior designer. He is saying, let's, let's put this rafter here and this girder here and this beam here and this, this foundation here. And he's, he's really leaving to us a lot of the little details of what colors to paint the wall and what side of the bed that we sleep on and you know, whether we squeeze the toothpaste tube from the top or the bottom or, you know, what kind of a car we're going to buy. I don't know that God is really all that concerned. I mean, He's concerned, but I don't think God is really upset about whether or not you decide to wear, you know, jeans today or a pair of corduroys. He's not really going to be, you're not going to really throw a wrench in the works if you decide to um, change apparel 
on him. But I know people, I don't want to be insensitive to this, I know people who literally chew themselves up on the inside about whether or not they did the right thing in buying a Volkswagen as opposed to a Toyota. I just couldn't hear from God and, well, I just, I just did it. And I'm sure now I did the wrong thing. <laughs> and we all laugh, but we've done that. Well, if we could just get a hold of this, that when we place our, our lives into the hands of God, that He's faithful to receive our lives. He cares for us. He loves us. He has a plan for us. And if we'll pull a plug on the world's influence and start listening to the voice of God's Spirit and allowing our minds to be transformed, I mean, to be renewed and, and resulting in the transforming of our life, we can just rest assured that God will direct our steps. And every once in a while, it'll be okay for us to say, okay, I, I think I'll, I'd, like to, um, I'd like to move this sofa around. You know, it'd be all right for us to make those kinds of decisions on our own. Because God is helping us to learn how to do things as we mature in Him that are pleasing to Him. Well, <clears throat> we spent, you know, a half hour on those two verses. Let's see if in the next ten minutes we can get the rest of the chapter. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now Paul, in the remainder of this chapter, is going to be talking, or painting a picture for us, of what someone who has yielded their life to Christ, to Christ as a living sacrifice looks like. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Excuse me. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He says that God is bringing together men and women from every walk of life and he is fashioning of that menagerie a body his body and it's like our bodies it has a lot of different uh, members hands arms toes eyes ears a lot of different parts and they all have different functions but when they all work together there is uh, a continuity there is an ability to perform there is a functionability a body he says, I have brought together all of you. You have different gifts and so forth. But someone who, is, who has yielded their life to the Lord, who has given themselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, is one who will begin to, to, be, to function in their place of ministry satisfied, content. In other words, he says, We've all been given a, a measure of faith, every one of us. Don't think of yourself more highly. Don't have a puffed up or inflated view of who you are, but think soberly about, you, about who you are. Don't think lower of yourself than you should, but think soberly. Have a right understanding of who you are. 
and that God has set you in the body and that you're a member of a, an, a living organism, the church. And that God has given you gifts that, di that are different from someone else. But we need yours as much as we need theirs. And that if you have the gift of prophecy, use it, baby. If you have the gift of ministry or service, use it. If you have the gift of um, teaching, use it. If you have the gift of encouragement or exhortation, use it. If you have the gift of giving, and there are people who do. <laughs> I, I, you know, there are people who have the gift of giving. That doesn't mean the rest of us are off the hook as far as giving. But there are people who just, they don't know how to stop. And usually the people who don't know how to stop giving are the people that God doesn't know how to stop giving to. You ever notice that? But anyway, if you have the gift of giving, use it. Please. And if you have the gift of um, leading or ruling, use it. If you have the gift of showing mercy, use it. Basically, that's what's being said there. And that's not a uh, you know, complete list either. It's just enough to give us an idea that we all work together and we all have various responsibilities. And God wants, and a man who is giving his life to the Lord is someone who is recognizing that his life no longer belongs to him. And if God has gifted me in certain ways and set me in the body of Christ, well, I better be about my business. Okay? Then it goes on and, 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 and describes uh, in some pretty uh, clear detail what our life as a yielded person to Jesus Christ ought to look like in terms of very practical things, not just the spiritual things and how we minister, but terms of practical things. Let love be without hypocrisy. You know, and this is really easy to get sucked into because in the church especially, love is such an uh, important thing, such an important byword that you can start, if you don't really feel that you have it, you can start to try to fake it. Oh, I love you, brother. I just love you. Sometimes. You know, and we have this, you know, feel like we're under a compulsion to love, even though it's not genuine. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. He doesn't say, make love without hypocrisy. He says, let love. Now, there's a difference there because God wants to give us genuine love for Him, for each other. And all we really need to do is just let it happen. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. In other words, develop a, a, a hatred for sin. A righteous hatred for sin. God hates sin. Now, He loves sinners. And this is where we get goofed up sometimes. We don't know how to do both of those at the same time. How to hate sin and love sinners. But that's what we need to learn. Abhor evil. Develop a righteous hatred for sin. But a love for sinners. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in, diligent, in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Now that means... Uh, the diligence, not lagging in diligence, means not lazy in our physical response to serving the Lord and fervent or full of zeal in regard to our spirit's response, our spiritual response to serving the Lord. So, and there are two, always two aspects to serving the Lord. There is what's going on in my spirit and there's what's going on in my 
physical obedience in response to serving the Lord. And you got to have both. And he says, he says, um, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Now, certainly, there's a lot of things that happen to us in the course of a day or a week or a month or a year that um, are not real thrilling, you know. Um, boy, I can think of a whole bunch of them. They just aren't real exciting, you know. But I can always rejoice in hope. So I have a hope that's steadfast and sure, the Bible says. And I can always rejoice in, my, in hope. Patient in tribulation. And you know what? The only time you can be patient is when there's tribulation. Ever thought about that? You start to ask the Lord for patience, He's going to send you tribulations. And you can only be patient when there's tribulation. So, patience in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. <laughs> Especially when you're in the car. <laughs> I don't know. That I, that's my hardest thing. You know, I don't have tr I'm not a vengeful person except for when I'm behind the wheel. Man, I could I can chew some people out pretty royally when I'm driving my car. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's important. There's a lot of people that are afraid to empathize with people uh, because of insecurity and what have you. Fear that they might get dragged down into the hole that person is in. But the Lord is wanting for us to develop a ministry of empathy. Rejoicing when it's appropriate, but weeping when it's appropriate. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In other words, let your life be on display and let them see in you that you have regard for good things. That the things that you uh, feel are important, the things that you consider of value are good things. Let your neighbors see that you're someone who puts a high priority on righteousness, on compassion, good things. If it's possible, and I thank God that he recognizes that sometimes it's not possible, but if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I don't really believe that the, when, it, when he quotes here from the Old Testament and, and it says that um, by, 
by feeding your enemy and giving him a drink that you're going to dump coals of fire in his head that that's some sort of um, vengeance in other words don't be mean to people that are mean to you folks but do nice things to them and they're going to feel so bad about the fact that you're being nice to them that it's going to be like you were dumping hot coals on their head I really don't believe that that's what's being stated here there was a I don't believe this is the full answer either, but there was a custom, or I mean a, a practice in that time of transporting hot coals for your fire. Uh, if yours went out, you didn't you know, pull out your box of matches and light a new fire. You, you went to somebody who had a live fire and you borrowed some coals and you, and you carry them on your head, literally, and, uh, to your house to start yours up again. And so it's an act of mercy, actually. If you do this for your friend, your, or for these, your enemies, you're actually doing a kindness towards them. But I think it's more than that, too. I think that the coals of fire on their head has to do with a <clears throat> pouring onto them the warmth of love, the warmth of Christ's love. So he says, uh, Beloved, don't avenge yourself. Don't put your efforts into avenging yourself because all that does is that that shows that you've been conquered by their um, act of, of evil they have conquered you they've trapped you into acting the way they act don't do that but give place to wrath in other words let God handle it he is the one who will take out vengeance. He is the one who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's, listen, that's enough vengeance for anybody. It's a dreadful thing to be <laughs> found in the hands of God and, and you're not going to be able to add anything to their punishment. So don't, don't go seeking vengeance. But instead, conquer evil with good. That's how he closes this chapter. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And you'll be heaping, you'll be heaping coals of the warmth of God's love on their head.